Let's just pray quickly. So, Lord, I want to pray for Benny as he shares and delivers the word this morning, Lord, and just um, that our hearts would be positioned to hear what you are saying. Even as you've been uh, calling us to be a people of faithfulness and a people that would be uh, fruitful because we're faithful, that, Lord, I pray this morning as he shares the word that it would just pierce our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't let blinkers come on straight away because we hear certain words or because it's a, a, a topic that we don't like to talk about. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would be responsive because we're hearing the heart of the Father. And so Lord, I know and I, I, I believe you're calling us to be a people that are faithful in everything that we do. And, and I just thank you, Jesus, for what you're starting in our lives. And so, and even just reminding us again and bringing us to that place. And so, Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit, come as he shares the word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man, Chad. Ach, it's like it to come now. It's actually my first time coming now. I'm just, you're going to come next time, hey? after your break, when, when you've rested. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's just to see. I mean, just over this four months that we've been gone, it's like, there's been quite a lot of new faces here, so it's just nice if you are a visitor here for the first time, great, nice to connect with you. And uh, yeah, I heard that Chad's been talking about faithfulness in the life of the congregation, and uh, he asked me to share something, and um, you know, like Chad says, it's been seven years that we've been here in George, and over those seven years, we were just saying, actually, we haven't actually preached on what I'm going to preach on now. Um, we've never actually shared that, and, um, and so as I was thinking about it, oh, it's, it's funny that uh, it's never really been the focal point. I mean, we've always, we've always spoken about the area of, of finances and uh, offerings and tithes, but in the matters of the heart, so it's kind of been a bi-subject, you know, it hasn't been the focus, um, and even the, the, the teachings that we have of the stewardship, uh, it's been like one of those moments, but uh, guess what? today's that day <laughs> that I'm going to be sharing on it. And I remember in Mossel Bay, there was a guy who, who obviously had an issue with money or finances. And uh, we, you know, he, he was one of those guys that never really came to church much. And I remember him coming to us that day. And, and, and guess what? I was sharing on finances. And he says, you know, your churches are all the same. We all just preach on money. And uh, he kind of left us and he, he came back a year later. And guess what? The, the, we never touched money. We never spoke about money. But the day that he came back, guess what? We were sharing on finances. And I realized then, <laughs> I don't see him here. But it makes me realize, you know, I, I feel God was pulling at his heart. It was like, hey, there's a something there that God wants him to overcome. And, uh, and so I'm going to be sharing on finances. But I've got to admit, you know, I, I, I understand why Chad and... Um, Dan have decided that I've got to share on it because I can go back. I don't have to sit here. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm going to share this with my congregation, so it, it is important to the Lord. But I, I understand why people shy away from it because admittedly so, the churches have abused the subject. I mean, I've seen it all the time. I've seen just how false teachers have used this to manipulate people's hearts to enrich themselves. And I get that. I, I, I get that. But because... There's been abuse of something, doesn't mean we have no use of it. It's just got to be correct use. We've got to correct it. We've got to realign what the church has done wrong in presenting this. And so I'm hoping to do that. I'm not going to come from an apostate angle or a false teacher or a wolf. I'm not here to manipulate your hearts. Um, but I do believe 
you know, because sometimes people look at the, the kingdom of God and they look at it like a spiritual slot machine. Eh? Just give to the Lord, ching, and let's wait. Let's see all, you know, what's going to come out of this. It's almost like the lotter. Have you ever seen the lotter, the slogan that they give? You know, it's your license to dream. Well, this is not your license to dream. This is your, your license really to be obedient uh, to, to God. And, um, and so I'm going to really just share on this. Um, but um, I also want to say this. I don't want to cower under the sensitivity of this because, you know, because of the abuse that it's brought. And we can, as elders, we can feel that pressure sometimes, that you're sensitive to people because of the abuse. And uh, it's like the elephant in the room. You, you just don't want to discuss, you'd rather not talk about, you know, it, it can be like that. And I was thinking of a scripture in Acts 20, verses 27. Paul says this, and I found it very interesting. Have you got that scripture? I'll give it to you. It says, and I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, that word, I have not shunned, you know, some of the versions say, Paul, some of your versions say, I haven't shrunk back in declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And I was kind of, as I was sharing, I was just thinking about this, I actually kind of want to repent on my side as an elder because I think to a degree, the area of finances, I've kind of shrunk back. It's like I haven't declared the whole counsel of God. And, and, and just in that, you know, God kind of showed me, you know, Benny, you know, when you, when you do share about my love, when you do share about my grace, my mercy, when you do talk about prayer, you can talk passionately about those things. And, uh, but, it, but with money, you've shrunk back. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and, I, and so I want to repent of that because I feel in that we can lose uh, just the significance of this. And, uh, and so I'm... But God also showed me this. I'm not imparting information so that you can give more. But I do believe I'm here to impart faith that you can trust God wholeheartedly with everything, with all your finances, with everything to Him. And so that's basically my heart. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, so even in that, you know, kind of God showed me, you know, even in the area of finances, did you know it's also got faith attached to it? Your money has got faith attached to it. Think about it. Um, in, in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says this. Because money is, a, is something to do with relating to your faith. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And you know, here you see a direct correlation between faith and money. And so, you know, I know in Josh Shem, we always say, you know, we don't want your talents, we don't want your gifts, we want your hearts. But it's the same with money. We don't, we don't want your money, we want your hearts. But you know what? Sometimes to get to your heart, we have to go through your wallet. <laughs> you know, because it's sitting there. No, because it's, it's one of those things that, are, are, that, that has got a hold of you. You know, the Bible says, you know, you need to watch your heart because it's deceitful. You need to check it. So one of the things we can know, is your heart right, is, is through the area of finances. Hey? Because sometimes your heart is attached to that thing. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just felt, you know, I really felt today God wants to set people free, you know. And you might even say, well, look, Benny, I don't have a problem with, with tithing and all that because basically I don't really have money. You know, I don't really have money to give. You know what I say? What I want to say about this is that, you know, the love of it says it's the love of money which is the root of all evil. So whether you've got money or you don't have money, that's not the problem. It's about your love for money. Okay, so it's got nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. 
You know, poor people can be just as bound to money as what rich people can. And uh, we need to be careful. But the reason I want to talk about this too, is besides the fact that Chad asked me, <laughs> is, the, is the vulnerability to being led astray in our faith with money. And you know, Jesus spoke about money quite a bit. You go and read Scripture. He spoke about money quite a lot. And uh, 11 of the 39 parables was on money. Okay? And so, in, in fact, as I was sharing, I, I just felt even if you're going to title my message this morning, I want to say it's faith in your finances. Okay? Faith in your finances. That's the title I want the message. That's what I want God to drive home uh, through His Spirit, is that thing of faith in our finances. And, and I felt the reason I called that that is because you can't, kind of divorce faith from your finances. The two are there, and they're stuck together all the time, and God watches those things with us. And the reason I've also called it faith in our finances, because some of you sitting here might be saying, well, I'm under the law. You know, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Do I still need to give? Is it still something that God requires? Uh, and I want to say this goes beyond the law. Um, if, and, and I want to kind of start here, because you know, in Scripture we read, what is, what is tithing? Well, tithing, actually the word tithing means 10%. It's giving a tenth of what you earn. It's like saying, God, everything you've given me comes from you. It's acknowledging that. But I'm going to give you back tenth of what you have given me. And uh, we see this, and I do get it, you know, it officially was introduced in the Mosaic Law, officially, that God instructed a nation of how to give. Okay, and we see that in Leviticus 27, verse 30 to 33. But I do want to say that this happened long before the law of Moses, before the official instruction. We see that God had, or didn't ask, that a man by the name of Abraham gave a tenth of what he earned, what he got. And just in that, you know, this was long before the law, before God introduced the law. This was before even Israel even existed. Okay? So here we see God in the process from the early stages of the word. And uh, we see it through a man called Abraham. Now, before I talk about Abraham's tithing, I, I want to say f- something about Abraham first. Before we look at his tithing, I want us to look at his faith. Because Paul brings the attachment of Abraham's faith is something like our faith. Okay? And he kind of brings them two together in Galatians 3 verses 6. And he says, you know what, it was Abraham's righteous, it was his righteous act that he believed God, and God accounted to him as righteousness. And, uh, and then it says, but Abraham was not of the law, but of faith. Okay, so that included his giving. His giving, when he saw Jesus, he gave a tenth, and it says it wasn't of the law, it was of faith that he did it. And Paul kind of brings this too, and he says, it's the same for you. You, you know, everybody who believes we are sons of Abraham. Did you know that? And because of our faith, not because of the legal things that we've got to do, but it's because of our faith. And then he says he counsels it as righteousness. And in Galatians uh, 3, verses 11, it says, the just shall live by faith. And so we all call to live by faith, right? Because that's how the just live, and that's how Abraham lived. And he says, the just shall live by faith. Well, you know what? That includes money. There's not an aspect of God. You say, God, you can touch this, but you can't touch that. No, every aspect of our lives, whether it's our time, whether it's our kids, it's our marriages, every aspect of your life, God should be able to touch. And that includes money. 
Because how do you know where your faith is if God can't touch that? Guys, with me. So anyway, we see faith through Abraham. And God says, I want you to be like Abraham. Okay, you've got to have faith. You've got to trust me. And uh, we see this incident where Abraham gives a tenth of his spoils to God. Okay, and he does it in Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Uh, we, we read it that he gives a tenth. Don't worry, I don't think I gave that one to you. Don't worry about that. I'm just going to kind of briefly, we'll, we will touch on it now. But uh, we see Abraham, so he sees uh, this man who is the king of Salem. His name's Melchizedek, and he gives a tenth of it. Now, Hebrews kind of gives us a bit of more picture of who Melchizedek was because, you know, when you read it in Genesis, you don't quite make out exactly who he is. So Hebrews 7, verse 2 to 3, I gave you that one. Um, There we go. Okay, I gave you, okay, let me just read the whole portion. Sorry, Anton. Uh, It says, uh, the king of Salem, meaning king of peace, from verse 2, I'd say. Yeah. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So here what we see is he has a man who didn't have a beginning to end. He didn't have genealogy. In other words, he wasn't born. He was, he was always there. And it's just like the Son of God. So we, you know, through most commentaries and, and everything that I've read about this has been that this is the pre-incarnation of Jesus. It's, it's Christ before he actually came as flesh. You know, to, you know Jesus was around before 2,000 years. Okay, he became flesh. Yes, two thousand years ago to to complete the covenant. You know, to bring us the second covenant. But Jesus was around long before that. Okay, and this is Jesus that Abraham sees. And and, and you know, often we think of Jesus. We 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 don't forget he he wasn't born. He was always there because he is God. Right. In fact, in Isaiah nine says for. For unto when he did come down on earth, uh, when the angels declared his, who he was, but even Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 9, says, For unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. Now, 2,000 years ago, the child was born, but the son was given. The son wasn't born. The son was always there, and God gave his son. Okay, So I just want us to know that because it helps us understand that Abraham was giving a tenth of what he had to Christ. And you might be thinking, well, that's Abraham. You know, this is, this is a guy that obviously he spoke with the Lord and he had some special thing between him and God. We, we can kind of think like that when we read Scripture. But actually, it wasn't just Abraham because we see later on Abraham's grandson, Jacob, does the same thing. But here's something a little bit different. I want to talk about this because what Jacob does, this is the first time the house of God is mentioned. Okay, and he, where he ties to the Lord. And I want to say, this is the house of God. Okay, do you know that? This is the house of God. You are part of the household of faith. The Bible talks about that. You are living stones being built in a spiritual house. This is God's house. Okay, you, the church are God's house. When we come together, God makes himself known. He, he makes his presence. He, we make this place his home. It's, it's where he resides with us. And, uh, and so... But we see it first, we see it in, in Jacob when he, he's in this house, and we see him give a tithe. Now, I want to quickly read on this, because in this, here Jacob has this dream, and in this dream, um, God reveals something of himself to 
Abraham. I want you to get this because he, what God does is He reveals to, Ab- oh, to Jacob, sorry, not to Abraham. He reveals Himself to Jacob, but He says, and Jacob has this dream where He sees angels ascending and descending, but then He says He sees a vast number of people, and, uh, and in this dream that these people are actually His descendants. And He sees this, and He, and he, and he, and he kind of looks at this, and, he, and it's in that, that prophetic picture that God gives him that actually what He was seeing was you. The church, you know, all those who believe are sons of Abraham. So everybody that believes in Christ are sons of Abraham. So I, I believe in that picture what he sees is actually the church. Okay, I want you to understand this because this is the dream that he has. Well, anyway, let's quickly read Genesis 28 from verse 16 to 22. <clears throat> uh, did I say from? Uh, okay. And J- Jacob woke from the sleep. And said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. I'm going to read from my laptop. It gets a bit easier. Uh, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put on his head. Put at his head. And he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city had been uh, Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in the way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on and so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob has this prophetic dream. And in this, he, he performs a prophetic act. The first thing he says, he, he calls this God's house. The second thing, he anoints this rock that he slept. I don't know how anybody can sleep on a rock and go, I mean, my pillow is hard enough, but a rock. Anyway, he falls asleep but, and he has this dream. But when he wakes up, he actually anoints this rock. And I believe that Although this rock represents, because he calls it the church, but also Christ. Christ being the rock, and he's the anointed one. And, uh, and so that's the second thing he does. He anoints the rock, but then he makes a vow. And ultimately he says, God, I'm trusting you. I'm not going to, you know, you're going to be my provider. You're the one who's going to give me food. You're the one who's going to clothe me, as we read. And he says, God, in this vow, I'm trusting you. you actually my source. I'm making this declaration. And so we see a vow taking place. And then, and then he says this, all that I have, I give. And, and he recognizes that actually everything is God's. And then he gives the tenth. <clears throat> and so I want you to see this picture. because So here's God's house first mentioned in the Bible when Abraham anoints the stone. But then God's house changes from a stone to a tent. Okay. This is when God asked Moses to, to build a tabernacle, or, you know, it's all, but, but why a tent? Well, remember at the time, Israel was moving through the wilderness, and uh, they weren't just, they were like nomads, they were like, like living as nomads, and so remember, they were following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, so every time that cloud moved, God says, I want you to move with that cloud, so you can imagine, it's like you stop, you, you're camping, okay, the clouds stop, we can, we can set out camp here. And all of a sudden, the cloud moves. You've got to pack up all your things and, and move with that cloud. 
And I believe that's partly why God actually set, uh, set up the tabernacle as a tent. Okay? Because they had to quickly move. And only the Levites could move these things, the, the priestly objects. Okay, so we see God's house as a tent, and that's in Exodus 25, verses 8 to 9. It says, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell with them. And we all know the Ark of the Covenant was there, but this was also a place where people would bring their tithes. And uh, in Leviticus 27, verses 30, and all the tithes of the land, whether of seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, and the Lord uh, is of the, sorry, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now, I want you to understand something here. Do you remember when, when God gave Israel an inheritance? Remember, He gave to each tribe, He gave them an allocated land in Canaan. Each one got a specific land that they could be given, except for one tribe. One tribe could not get any of the land, and that was the Levites. Okay, and that's in Joshua 8, verse 7. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is the Lord is the inheritance. So what God's saying is, look, I'm going to give everybody an inheritance, but you know what? The Levites, I'm going to be your inheritance. You're not going to get anything. You might say, oh, what does that mean? Well, we read later on, uh, I think it's in Numbers 18, 8. I didn't put that one down, but, but it says that, you know, as Israel brought their tithes, as each, each tribe of Israel brought their tithes, what happened was those tithes would go to the priests and to God's house. And so although the Levites never got any inheritance as far as the land, they did get the income that, that came from the land through the Israelites as they tithed, okay? I want you to get this because it's important. <clears throat> So we see that the house of God moved from a rock to a tent, and then we see it established in the temple. Remember, God, uh, God uh, used Solomon to build his temple, but the, the offerings and the sacrifices continued. Just the house changed. We see it from a rock to a tent to a temple, but the offerings and the giving to the Lord was always there. It's important that you know this, because as we see it. And then we see, like, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. Now, this was the last book. This was the last of the prophets that speak in the Old Testament. And uh, Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10, it says, The will of... Uh, sorry, let me quickly read that one. Quick, I forgot to... So, yeah, it says, Will a man rob God? Now, this is God indicting Israel, rebuking them, because they didn't tithe like they should. And he says, Yet you have robbed me, but you say, In what way have, have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you have cursed and with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. It will, sorry, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be uh, no room enough for you to receive it. Now, having said that, so that's the Old Testament. You say, well, Benny, but we're the New Testament. What's, you know, hasn't, hasn't those things fallen away? Well, that would be a good question to ask because there is things that have fallen away that we don't do in the Old Testament. Well, that we don't do in today's day that, that they did in the Old Testament. And so why wouldn't this be part of it? Well, I want us to see this because there is things that 
that are actually not applicable to us anymore. And it's good that we, we do understand it. So let me quickly go to Colossians 2, verses 16. And this is Paul writing. It says, Let no one judge you in food and drink or in regarding your festivals, your new moons, or your Sabbaths. Okay, and I want you to understand this because some of these things that Paul's saying, your, your festivals, which would be your yearly events that you would uh, practice, like, like the, the Passover lamb, the meal. He says those things were things that the Israelites observed. He says, now those things, those yearly things are not applicable anymore. Your new moons, which would be your monthly sacrifices that the people would bring to the Lord, to the Lord that he required monthly. And then your Sabbath, which was your weekly things. And so Paul's saying, look, all of those things that, that applied here, those ceremonial laws, are no longer applicable. Okay, now I want you to understand this because you might think, well, does the tithe include that? No. And I'll explain why. Because Jesus even endorsed tithing. Matthew 23, verses 23. Remember when he, when he talks to the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and a rise of cumin, sorry, and have uh, neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. So what is Jesus saying? Look, Tithes and offerings are important. You should have done that, which is good. You did it. But you know what? There were weightier issues that you guys didn't do. Do you, do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying I'm, he's not, he's not uh, dissing the, the Pharisees and saying, listen, you didn't tithe. You didn't bring your offerings. But he said, you, but you didn't actually care for my sheep like you should have. And so you should have done both. That's what Jesus is saying. And uh, we all know the scripture in Matthew 21, uh, 22 verses 21. Um, just to give you a little bit of an understanding of this. Remember the, the, the Pharisees and that were trying to catch Jesus out, and they were trying to, to, to kind of get him caught where they can, like, nail him. And uh, one of the questions they asked Jesus is, look, should we pay taxes? Oh, and by the way, we brought SARS with us, and they're going to hear your answer, you know. And, uh, but there, I want to say, it's a little bit different to us. You know, you're not going to get a fine or you're going to pay for something there, if you said don't pay taxes, that's your head, you know, because the Romans were, would make sure of that. Imagine if they applied that to our tax. I think we'd have a lot more taxes paid. Huh? But anyway, Jesus replies to them because they try and catch him out. So should we give taxes? Should we give to, to Caesar? And Jesus says, give me a coin. And he takes it and he says, whose inscription is this? And they say Caesar's. And he said to them, Render then for to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. So do you recognize Jesus still admitting we got to give to God what is God's? You might still think, well, this is still, this was still applying to the Old Testament, guys. But I want to say even Paul endorsed it. Okay? Remember what I shared earlier on about the priests? They were the guys that had to do the priestly duties. And so Israel's tithes would go to them. Well, Paul uses that analogy of the priests of Israel to that of elders. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 to 14. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Do you see the gospel? That's... That's what we do. We're preaching the gospel. 
This is after the law. This is after everything. And Paul's saying, look, the same way the Levites had the tithes that came through to Israel, they paid for the priests, they paid for them to do what they do, to give them an income so they could live. I'm asking that the same thing happens to the elders. That's what he's saying. Is it not their right to have it? Uh, and then he talks about it again in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 3 to 10. He says, My defense to those who examine me in this, do we, sorry, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife and do also the other, as the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and uh, Cephas, or, or, sorry, or it's only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at their own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends to a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law say the same also? For it is written, sorry, it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. It is the oxen that God is concerned about. Is it the oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say that altogether for the sake of our sakes? No doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes should, thresh, uh, should partake of it in hope. Now, I want to say, even though Paul's saying, uh, look, these guys should get what, what's due to them. Who goes to war? You know, there's a cost. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't reap the rewards of that? And Paul's saying the same thing is for, for them, for the elders. Now, I want to say as elders, we don't, even though Paul here is using strong language, he says, don't I have a right? Now, as Christians, we all know we don't have any rights because Jesus has given up, you know, when we become born again, we give up our rights. But yet Paul's using strong language and he says, don't I have a right to do, to get paid for, for what, I, what I've sown and what I've done? And I want to say even, I'm, and I know I'm speaking on behalf of the elders, those that get paid, we would do this even if we didn't get paid. In fact, I'd say for 20 years, I did this without getting paid. Am I right, Chad? And so I'm not saying this because I want a better salary or anything, but there is a cost. I did this, and let me tell you, it was a cost. When you're working and you, you're full-time, you know, you're in the church, you're involved in the eldership, but also working away, it's tiring. It's it, takes, I think it was the grace of God that actually kept me. Because it, it, if it wasn't for that grace, I know I wouldn't have done it. But there was a season that I had to tap into God's grace. But I want to say, this is not a continual thing. There was a moment where God said, okay, I'm going to send Chad. He's going to come and help support. Them. And then there was a grace that I didn't have anymore because God gave me the grace for that season. But I want to say this to you. It's, it's so important. Let me tell you, elders, some people have a perception that elders' job is just a Sunday job. <laughs> I tell you, if that's your thought, I promise you, you have no clue. This is, a, this is a tiresome job. This is a job that demands from you. I'm talking about when you're dealing with people, emotionally, it's draining. It, not that we don't love you guys. It's a joy. It's a hope. We love it. And we'll do it. Like I said, even if we weren't paid for it, we would do it. And we have. But I want to say, emotions and that do tire you out. Because you're loving on people, you're praying for them, you're asking God, help me, help them. And there's moments of pastoring that you know it just takes from you. Because you love them and you want to see them like your own children. You want to see them come through. And people are dealing with different issues all the time. their struggles in life. And you've got to help pastor them through that. And so, it is the morning. And uh, like I say, we would do it in a heartbeat even if we weren't paid for it.
But, uh, but Paul's saying, but you don't, you know, this, this is something that God has instructed us to do as a church. Um, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, it says, Let the elders who rule over well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, Who shall muzzle the ox while it treads the grain, and labor is worthy of its wages. Yeah, Paul's saying, look, especially those guys who labor in the word. Let me tell you, so even labor, you might get, let's say, depending who's preaching, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Okay, I'm trying to do it less. But, but those hours, this little 40-minute session takes hours and hours of preparation because we want to give you God's word and we want to give it to you accurately. accurately. Do you get that? But it takes labor. We don't want to give you anything that's not of God. And so you've got to labor with the word. We've got to make sure, is this exactly what God is saying? And it's like carrying the Spirit in those moments, and there are quiet times. That, that takes, you know, that takes time. It takes effort. But we do it because we love the church. You know, it's like, like Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. So we do it out of the love of God. That, that's why we do it. And uh, so having said that, we will not force tithes and offerings on you. I know Andrew has said it. I've... I've seen his commentaries and things. We won't force it as a law because it's not a law. Remember what I said, it's not the law. But I do want to say this, if you do it, you'll, there's so much more that you can live in that God has for you in doing that, in taking that step of obedience towards Him. And um, you see, for me, tithing is important. And I'm going to say this in closing. Tithing is important because it always brings checks and balances of my heart. It does. And the reason that God requires this, like for us, is we do it on a weekly occasion where we hand out the boxes. But for me, it's actually a monthly thing. But every month, God checks the balances of my heart. Where's your heart today, Benny? Because you know what? Some days I'm doing good financially, and some days I'm in a hard time. But you know, God can test you with your riches as much as He can test you when you're struggling. They're both important to God. They're both different tests. I want to state that. Paul, and that's why Paul even says, you know, I've learned, well, let me get there. I've learned to be abound with lots and little. I've learned to be content. <clears throat> but you see, God needs to check us. He needs to check us. Who's your source? Every month, you need, it's kind of God brings that to you. Who's your source? Is it your business? Is it the, your employers, the people that you work for? Is it your... Your investments? Is it your RA? <laughs> yeah. Is it your bank account? Who's your source? And, uh, and so this morning, I want to ask that question. Who's your source? Who's your source? Are you like Abraham said, God, I've acknowledged that actually everything is yours. And so we need to have Abraham's faith. Pre-law. Do you have that faith? Is that faith accounted to you as righteousness, the act of obedience Think of it. It was the act. I remember who was it that Quinton was just sharing about Abraham's faith just at the prayer meeting, how God watched him when he gave his son. God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Abraham, and come sacrifice. Now, God hasn't asked us to do that, but I'm sure as he was watching Abraham do this, well, Abraham, you were prepared to do this. You prepared to give of your son. I'm going to do the same. Because you were obedient, Abraham, I'm going to be I'm going to have this covenant with you, and I'm going to make a covenant. The same way you gave your son, Abraham, I'm going to give my son. 
Think of that act of obedience. Had Abraham not done it, I don't know. Would God have done the same? I don't know. God was watching a man's obedience. How does God test your obedience? How does he test your faith? Let me tell you, tithing is so important to me because it it does do that. It does it every month, all the time. Having said that, I'm going to close just in that. But in our clothing, closing, sorry, clothing, (laughs) clothe ourselves with righteousness. But in the closing, I don't want to presume everybody here has met Jesus. And I couldn't even ask you to give to the Lord if you don't know Him. Because like I said, He wants your heart first. And, uh, but you know what? We need to make Him Lord of our hearts. We need to make Him Lord of our lives. Because He's going to demand everything. And it's not only your money. It's going to be your time. It's going to be your effort. It's going to be everything. But that's because He's God. And, uh, and so I want to ask us, maybe just close your eyes for a moment. Let's just, just hear on the Lord. I just want to wait on Him. But even as, as I've been sharing, you know, I, I want to say this. God loves the world. He says he, he, he loves the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son, as I shared that. And, you know, part of that is that He died for you. God died for you. He purchased you to Himself. And all what it requires of us is to accept Him, to receive Him, and to make Him Lord of our lives. And while I'm sharing here, I want to say this, that you might think you're living for yourself. You might think I'm doing my own thing, I'm free. But I want to say that's not true. It's a lie. The thing is, God is, He makes us see there's no middle ground. There's no no man's land as we give our hearts to Him. We either receive Him, Or we don't. And if we don't receive him, don't think you're living for yourself. You're actually living for another kingdom. You're actually living for another king. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says this, You cannot serve God and money. You know, you might be sitting here tonight, you might have given your heart to things. I want to say those things will fade. You might think, well, I'm okay. Let me tell you, your life is but a moment. Do you know you're living on borrowed time? You're living in a borrowed house. You have even a borrowed body. It says, from the ground you came, from the ground you will return. Solomon says, we like, fleeting, we, we like a fleeting moment. We like a mist and then gone. And so I want to say, you've never given your life to Jesus. Today is the day. Today you can meet the king of the universe. You know what? The things that you pursue in your life, the monies and all those things, you know, those things always, you never actually bring, it never brings a contentment to you. But Jesus said in John 4, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst. You'll never thirst. And I know because I've pursued things. I've been hungry for things that have never satisfied. Have you ever had that where you've grasped for something and you have it for a moment? It loses its significance. It, it turns to rust, the dust that pours through your fingers. There's nothing left of that thing. It loses its value. But you can't do that with Jesus. 
You can't do that with Him. And that's why Paul says, I am complete in Him. You can be complete in Him, but you need to make Him Lord of your life. Is there anybody here? Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, What is it if a man profits the whole world and loses his soul? Your soul is important. Don't let this moment go by if you haven't come to Jesus. Then for the rest of us, I feel God's, some of us might just be struggling at this moment. And I've got to admit, the economy is getting worse. Things are getting bad financially, but God. In Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I'm content with much, and I'm content with little. You know what the difference was? Paul knew where his hope was. Paul knew where his joy was. It was in Christ. And I want to say, church, if, if you're one of those ups and downs, people at the moment, because of things around you, because of finances. I want to say God's challenging you. question is, are you content with Him? Are you, is your hope behind the veil? The Bible talks about behind the veil. It says we, we, no, no one can touch, no one can influence, because it's in Him. I just want to read this last scripture. It's in Habakkuk. 3 verses 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be in the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now listen to this. Yet. And that's true worship that says yet. Not if, but yet. Meaning in spite of, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on the high hills. And I feel, I really, feel, I really believe that scripture. Today is the day that you can walk on the high hills, and it's not based, like Habakkuk says, it's not based on what you have or what you don't have. It's not based on the economy. It's not based on your finances. It's not based on anything around you. It's based on Him. So I want to ask you, even in this act of worship, dance is maybe, you know, that thing of God wanting to take us into a place of worship. And I'm feeling that's the thing. Yet, yet, yet. I, I, I almost like want to make a declaration that we come to the Lord saying, yet, yet, I will praise Him. Amen. So I don't know where you want to take it from here, Dan. Thanks, Benny. How was that? Uh... A good word, a challenging word, but it's a good word. And um, if I can get the worship team up, um, I would like us just to respond to that word of being called just to give everything for him because he's worthy. And so this is a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. I'd actually like us just to, I've asked uh, just for one or two just quick songs. We're gonna sh- we'll finish shortly. But I just want us to finish this time together just by worshipping God and declaring who he is.
Because if we see, like Jacob did, the glory of God and who he is, that brings us to a point where we'll have faith to give. And faith to give back to God what is his. So if you're feeling stirred and you're like, yes, I will do this. Will you just come and stand with me in the front? And I want to worship together. So if this has stirred you and you're like, yes, I will run. Come. And realistically, if you're part of this body, that should be all of us. Really. So come. Let's just come to the front. And let's just worship God just as we finish. Give him the glory.